Welcome to Weekly Wisdom from Jubilee Circle. We teach the common wisdom of love and unity that is found in all mainstream religions, metaphysical teachings, mysticism, and inspired secular and religious writers and teachers throughout the ages. Our goal is to help you connect with your higher divine self and transform from the inside out so you can become a force for love and transformation in the world. Each week, we bring you wisdom from our founding spiritual director, Reverend Candace Shalhoub, and other guest speakers. We hope you enjoy this week's words of wisdom. Buddhist teacher Jack Cornfield tells the story of a monastery of monks that was on the decline. They struggled with how to bring people back to their beautiful retreat when one had the idea to go and visit a nearby rabbi who had been known to be skilled in discernment. So one monk went to visit the rabbi and he came back and he told the other monks that the rabbi had told him that he had seen, he had seen in a vision that the Messiah was among the monks who were living at this monastery. And they were all shocked to hear this. I mean, they knew each other pretty well, right? <laughs> and then, but they immediately began to wonder, well, who, who could be so holy here that they are the Messiah? I mean, it couldn't be one of the brothers who was always impatient, and it certainly was not the laziest monk among them. Certainly, each of them thought, well, it can't be me. You know, I know me, so it can't be me. So however, because they couldn't be certain who exactly was the Messiah among them, they began to treat themselves and each other as if they could be the Messiah. You just never know. So be on the safe side. They work to outdo each other in honoring the holy that must be within each other just in case that one could be the Messiah. And lo and behold, soon people began to return to this monastery. News of this beautiful place and the gentle monks who lived there, it, it, just, it spread all around the countryside. And soon the monastery became a renowned center for teaching and learning. All because those monks changed their perspective. And they saw the Christ in everyone, everyone around them. And then they extended that love to everyone. And this jubilance is how we are called to live in the world, to live in the light of charity that sees the holy in everyone, including ourselves. And when we're called to live this way, outdoing one another in kindness, in love and mercy, that's when the whole world gets to say, oh yeah. Hear these wise and holy words. From A Course in Miracles, chapter 27. Dream of your holy sibling's kindness instead of dwelling in your dreams on their mistakes. Select their thoughtfulness to dream about instead of counting up the hurts they gave. Forgive them their illusions and give, them, give thanks to them for all the helpfulness they gave. And do not brush aside their many gifts because they are not perfect in your dreams. They represent our holy parent whom you see as offering both life and death to you. Your holy siblings give but life, yet... What you see as gifts your holy siblings offer represents the gifts you dream your holy creator gives to you. Let all your holy siblings' gifts be seen in light of charity and kindness offered to you. And let no pain disturb your dream of deep appreciation for the gifts to you. From Buddhist monk Pema Chodron, Love and compassion are like the weak spots in the walls of ego. They are like a naturally occurring opening. And they are the opening we take if we connect with even one moment of good heart or compassion and cherish it 
our ability to open will gradually expand, beginning to tune into even the minutest feelings of compassion or appreciation or gratitude softens us. <clears throat> when I was a child, there was a comic strip character named Popeye. At times, he was really, really weak. And at those vulnerable moments, the big bully Bluto was always standing there, ready to reduce poor Popeye to dust. But old Popeye would get out his can of spinach, open it up, and gulp it down. He'd just pour the spinach into his mouth, and then wham, full of confidence and strength, he could relate with all the demons. That's what happens when we use our emotions to touch in with our noble heart. Bodhicitta, it's like spiritual spinach. From a circle of atonements, Emily Bennington. God created Christ. That is the self that we all share. The Christ is what's real. God created it. We made these bodies, and yet all we're really doing is looking at each other through the lens of these bodies that we made and not seeing beyond the form of these bodies to the truth of us all, which is the Christ. If we did see that, then we would see the holiness in each other because we're seeing the Christ. I was in third grade when I became aware for the first time that I had an enemy. The whole class was working quietly on an assignment and I was engrossed in whatever it was we were doing and I heard the teacher call my name. She asked me to come to her desk and I walked up there and she informed me that another girl in class had told her that I was making faces during our quiet work time. Now me, come on. Really? <laughs> I was very different in third grade. <laughs> I was horrified at this on so many different levels. First, I was, I was horrified at being falsely accused. I had not been making faces. Never once. And I didn't make faces in class back then. I was not the class clown quite yet. It, it did evolve. So I protested my innocence, but the teacher wasn't hearing it. She believed the tattletale and reprimanded me. Now, I don't even recall the name of this girl who made up this terrible lie about me, but I do recall seeing her smirk at me as I returned to my desk. And so I put my head down on the desk and just cried for a few minutes because, I mean, I'm in third grade. Come on. But I had this new horror take a hold of me. I had an enemy. I had never had one before. In fact, I didn't even know this girl who had made up this horrible, outrageous story about me. It's not like she had bullied me on the playground or made fun of me. Up until that moment, we had had zero interactions with one another. So what would make her hate me so much that she would make up this lie and tell it to the teacher just to get me in trouble? And why me? Why not one of the other 30 kids in the room? I was baffled. And then I was suspicious of everyone. If someone could come out of nowhere like that and just make stuff up and get me into trouble, then everyone was capable of that. This was the end of my innocence and the beginning of my reliance on fear over love. The appearance of this enemy convinced me to accept the ego's belief that the only way to keep myself safe from attack was if I attacked first. I, it's like everyone, including myself, became pigpen 
from the comic strip Peanuts. Everybody suddenly was covered in that moving dirt cloud that A Course in, a course in Miracles might call the ego. I could see it. And I say, I too became like Pigpen in that moment because we project out onto the world what we believe others in the world to be like. And then because we're assuming we're like that too. If they're like that, I could be like that. I could be somebody's enemy. I could turn on someone like that. If we accept the Augustinian doctrine of original sin and believe that everyone in the world is stained with some original moral disability at birth, then we believe that we too must have that mark on us. I read a recent article about the psychology of the character of Pigpen. It was fascinating. Pigpen, this writer posits, represents the idea of an original sin passed down from the start of all of this madness. At one point, he's visiting Lucy's psychology kiosk, and he opines to her, how would you like to go through life being called Pigpen? And Lucy asks him, well, Pigpen, what was your dad's name? To which Pigpen replies, Pigpen Sr. <laughs> and we all believe we came from Pigpen Sr., or that original sin committed by Adam and Eve in the garden that doomed us all to be known as Pigpen forever and ever. Pigpen also fulfills another thing that our ego needs to survive, and that is specialness. We love to perceive the pigpens around us because it makes us feel superior. We say to ourselves, I may be a filthy sinner like the rest of these separated bodies I see, but at least I'm not as bad as that one over there. Look how especially filthy that pigpen is. Lucy asks Pigpen at one point if it's possible, if it's possible for him to go just one hour without getting dirty. And Pigpen's reply reveals the deep pain we all feel because we are stuck in the clutches of the ego. He says, do you know, do you have any idea how painful a migraine can be? What this means, jubilance, is that we are addicted to our ego. We can't quit this thing that causes us so much continuous pain, like a migraine. We can't even go an hour without being dirtied by its need to judge, its need to fear others, its need to attack or compare or project its pain and grievances out onto other people. What a conundrum we've created for ourselves, jubilance. How do we overcome this addiction to the ego's relentless game of seek but do not find that causes us to see ourselves as eternally dirty, addicted to despair, and seeing ourselves as a pig pen permanently stained at our creation? We need a miracle, right? Well, we know that miracles involve two things, a shift in perception, and an extension of love. First then, we shift our perception. Instead of viewing everyone around us with suspicion and seeing them as filthy pig pens awash in this dust cloud of sin and fear and attack and grievance, we do as the Course instructs from this morning's reading. Dream of your holy sibling's kindness instead of dwelling in your dreams on their mistakes. Select their thoughtfulness to dream about 
instead of counting up the hurts they gave. Forgive them their illusions and give thanks to them for all the helpfulness they gave. And do not brush aside their many gifts because they are not perfect in your dreams. Let all your holy siblings' gifts be seen in light of charity and kindness offered you. And let no pain disturb your dream of deep appreciation for their gifts to you. And yeah, that seems like a tall order when all we tend to perceive are the pig pens of the world mucking things up, causing suffering and seeming to take pleasure in their greed and their fear-mongering and their selfish actions. But there is a second part to this miracle, and that is the extension of love. And this is important. Our ego has no interest in extending love to those we perceive to be separate from us. In fact, it's impossible for our ego to even do that. We're like Lucy in the psychiatrist's booth. She has no intention of trying to understand Pigpen. She just wants his five cents. That's the ego at work. What can I get from you? If I act like I love you, maybe you give me a tip on that five cents. Manipulation, that's what the ego thinks love is. To extend love into the world, then, jubilance, we must become like another cartoon character, Popeye. So to everyone around him, Popeye is just this bumbling sailor man trying to win the affection of Olive over Bluto's advances on her. And when he needs strength to overcome those obstacles such as Bluto, he eats his spinach. We're like Popeye in that while we are growing in our spirituality, we need some outward spinach to remind us of the inner strength that we already possess because we are originally blessed, because we are innocent, beloved children of God, unstained by an original sin. This goodness is our inheritance, and it makes us eternally invulnerable to anything this world can dish out. Until we know that, beyond a doubt whatsoever, though, we need our spiritual spinach as Buddhist nun Pema Chodron calls it. When we get that spiritual spinach, we do it through our spiritual practices, such as studying and gathering in community, learning from different teachers, doing meditation, especially loving-kindness meditations, to create what the Buddhists call bodhicitta, or an awakened heart. Love and compassion, Chodron says, are like weak spots in the wall of the ego. They are like, naturally, they are like a naturally occurring opening. And there, they are the opening that we take. If we connect with even one moment of good heart or compassion and cherish it, our ability to open will gradually expand, beginning to tune into even the minutest feelings of compassion or appreciation or gratitude softens us, she says. This jubilance is our spiritual spinach. The ego's weak spots of love and compassion, this is what we cultivate in those spiritual practices. And we keep cultivating them until they become a habit. And they change our perception of those in the world around us. We begin to see everyone. Everyone. I'm not making any exceptions here. Everyone as holy. If we practice long enough, we'll begin to understand that our spiritual practices are just tools. They're just tools we need to realize this strength, the ability to work the miracle of extending love. That's already within us. 
And as we extend love to others, seeing them as holy, then we will begin to see ourselves that way too. You see how it flips? If we're seeing original sin, we think we're part of the original sin. But if we see original goodness, if we see original blessing, if we can see that in others, we can see it in ourselves. And if we can see it in ourselves, then the dirt and the grime of the ego falls away from everyone we see, including ourselves. In this moment, extending love becomes a habit, just something we do naturally without even thinking about it. Emily Bennington with the Circle of Atonement lays it out this way. This is very systematic. So God created Christ. That is the self that we all share. The Christ is what's real, this higher divine self. God created it. We made these bodies. Fractals. Right, fractals. <laughs> we made these bodies, and yet all we're really doing is looking at each other through the lens of these bodies that we made and not seeing beyond the form of these bodies to the truth in all of us, which is that Christ. If we did see that, she says, then we would see the holiness in each other because we're seeing Christ. We're no longer sees. And this is, of course, what the greeting namaste means. The holiness in me bows to the holiness in you. But you may say, what about all those people who are hurting others in the world? What about all those people out there who are causing suffering? How can I even begin to see their holiness? Well, of course, in miracles tells us there's no degree in difficulty in miracles. And there's no degree of harm being caused in the world. A huge amount of suffering is cured in the same way as we perceive a small amount of suffering. How? We eat our spiritual spinach. We change our perception of those around us, and we extend God's love in the world. That is our function no matter what the situation is between us or before us, whether we see it as something big or something tiny. As I've said many times before, though, this doesn't mean we just accept suffering in the world. It doesn't mean that we allow those who may abuse us or harm us to remain in our lives. It doesn't mean that we turn a blind eye to those causing suffering on what appears to be a larger level. What it does mean is this. We eat our spiritual spinach. Because children says it allows us to relate with all the demons. So we continue to work for peace and love and mercy and justice in the world, but we do it from a very different place than when we believed in original sin. We do it from a place of love, from a place of gentleness and kindness and mercy and joy instead of a place of anger or vengeance or fear or anxiety. We are much more effective at ending the suffering of the world in this manner simply because we're not putting more fear, hatred, and vengeance into the world. And this is not spiritual bypass. It's actually a call to do the really hard inner work of healing our own penchant for fear and grievance and attack so we can be that pure extension of love into the world. And we do that by wanting to see those around us differently. Not as pig pens stained by original sin, but as our holy, originally blessed siblings. 
And if we can reach this point, jubilance, where we see everyone around us, as a course says in Lesson 61, as one whom heaven cherishes, the angels love, and God created perfect, you could scarce refrain from kneeling at their feet. Take that into Walmart. Whoever's blocking your lane, you're like, oh, you're beautiful. Oh, my God. I can't. I can't take it. How gorgeous you are. It'll go over well in Walmart. You'll just be among the other crazies in Walmart. <laughs> It'll be just fine. And maybe somebody gets a kick out of it. And they think better of themselves for a moment or two. Hey, it could happen. It could be a beautiful experiment. Let's all go in and kneel at the feet of people in Walmart. Indeed, this is the next step that we are called to take. To drop all of our grievances, all of our forms of attack, and see everyone in Christ's vision. This is an advanced step, but if we can do it, if we can approach the world with nothing but bodhicitta or an awakened heart that is always extending love, then we will find that all the bludos and the pig pens of the world, they disappear. They're just not even part of our reality anymore. As I said last week, I discovered this to be true the moment I felt that sense of compassion and gratitude for all those anti-LGBTQ people who constantly challenged me about my sexual orientation. It made me mad. But when I could finally see the holiness in them, that was the moment that they disappeared. Are they still out there? Oh, sure, there are homophobes everywhere. And I continue to work to end the suffering they cause, but now I don't do it with an angry debate or by denouncing them as bad people. Instead, I see them as holy, as originally blessed. They are my siblings who are so deeply unconscious in their fear that they don't even understand the harm that they do to themselves and others through their actions. And that's the moment I can have compassion for them. So when I do act to counter their message of fear or hatred, I can do it from a spirit of love. They can overcome the harm they may cause to the world. I'm no longer adding more fear. I'm no longer adding more loathing or hatred or grievance to the situation. And this jubilance is what we are called to do, to be the miracle workers by first changing our perception of those around us, and then learning about our own infinite holy strength that allows us to be used by the holy to extend that pure love into the world. I want you to hear good news this morning, jubilance. You have no enemies. You have no one telling lies on you that you need to fear or defeat. You are not surrounded by pig pens who are cursed to forever be stained by sin. You yourself are not a pig pen. You are surrounded by holy, originally blessed, and innocent siblings who have simply lost their way. They have forgotten who they are, and they are relying on us to remember for them and hold that space for them to remember. And in the meantime, we do our work. We eat our spiritual spinach. We do our spiritual practices that remind us of who we truly are so we can extend that love in every moment. And we can do it out of habit. And that forms because we understand that we are that love and we always have been. 
So Jubilance, the question is, who are you still seeing as the pig pens and the bludos of the world that make you angry or fearful or despairing? I invite you to do as children suggest. Seek out the weak spots in your ego where you can muster even the tiniest shard of love or compassion for that person. Use your spiritual practices to break through that weak spot and genuinely begin to feel love and compassion for them. The strength we all possess is that bodhicitta, that awakened heart of love that created us like itself. This is the practice we're called to, jubilance. Not everyone will respond to that call, but for those of us who want to see the suffering of the world ended, this is our function to be the miracle workers. So I invite you to try it out this week. Maybe don't start with Vladimir Putin or some other world figure, but <laughs> maybe don't start at Walmart. I don't know. Maybe like me, you can begin with that lying third grade tattletale whom you completely haven't completely forgiven yet. Because why would she come up in my mind if I hadn't completely let her go? Find that weak spot of love. Find that little tear in the wall of your ego that is compassion and seek to change your perception about them and then try to extend that love of the holy to them. All minds are joined on the level of spirit. So whatever amount of love, compassion, peace, or joy you can muster up and send to another, it will be received on that level. It may not appear to do much, to change the outward actions of these people, but don't let that discourage you. Because as you send love and peace and joy to them, you are also sending it to yourself. There's only one of us here, right? This is your spiritual spinach because it will remind you that you have the strength to change your mind and become the open extension of God's love in the world. And when that kind of love becomes our superpower in this world, then we'll all be answering every call for love we hear with a hearty and happy, oh yeah. Thank you for joining us for Weekly Wisdom from Jubilee Circle. If you enjoyed the program, we hope that you'll support us by leaving a good review of this podcast wherever you download your shows. We also hope you'll support us in other ways, either by becoming a subscriber to our YouTube channel and our weekly newsletter, or by supporting us financially. You can find out how to do all of that by visiting our website at jubileecircle.com. Many thanks to Audio Coffee from Pixabay for supplying our podcast music. Join us again next week, and until then, take the words of Meister Eckhart with you. If the only prayer you ever say is thank you, that will be enough. We thank you for your time and wish you the kind of week that will leave you saying, oh yeah. Yeah.